Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. So, good morning. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you as we start our brand new series called The Red and the Blue. Uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about politics and religion, and more specifically, we're going to talk about politics and, well, what it looks like to follow Jesus in our politics. Now, growing up, I, I wasn't that interested in politics. I, I never really ran for any school government things. I just, you know, ran from school in general. My mom didn't talk about politics much. I mean, she didn't sit down and watch the conventions. The news wasn't on all the time. I mean, she voted on, uh, excuse me, she voted but during the political season, our lives didn't change. Our, our lives didn't revolve around the elections. It was something she did, but it wasn't something that, you know, consumed or overwhelmed our family. Like, we didn't go into panic mode about it. Doesn't mean it was important. It just wasn't that big of a deal. Well, then growing up, excuse me, and then politics eventually became well, rather important to me. It start, I started paying attention to politics when I was deployed. You see, I deployed from 2007 to 2008. And when we would be in the chow hall, they would have the news on. And so during that period, when I was deployed, when I was in the military, 2008, of course, was an election year. And so politics, well, it became important. Because whoever would win, well, they would determine where I went or what I would do. And so the two presidential candidates, right, the commander in chief, the top military person tells everybody, you know, their views on wars and the deployments and all these cycles. Well, all of a sudden it started to become very important. Well, politics just became personal because what they decided, well, decided a whole lot with my Life. And as I grew older with taxes and health care and education and all that other stuff, well, when those issues started becoming real to me and they started affecting me, well, I started paying attention to what people's views on those issues were. Because ultimately, these politicians would then control these certain things that drastically affect me, which just logically makes sense, right? If, if they decide policies and they push for an area that affects me, I'm going to start paying attention to who decides what and whose views are what. And we all have issues that are important to us. Between, We all care about issues that affect our families and our jobs and our income, our education and our freedom. I mean, politics can feel very personal because it is. It's about us. It's about how these policies and how these laws and what these leaders say, it, they directly affect us. And so now we can see why politics can be so emotional. We can see why people can get so upset, why people are so passionate, because politics are personal. And while politics are personal, did you know, I mean, I didn't know, maybe you already knew this, but politics don't have to be polarizing. 
Because that's the world we live in where they're not only personal, they're polarizing. And as I've, I've thought about this this week and just thinking about what's going on, why is everything so divisive? I mean, it doesn't matter what they talk about. We set it up, well, this person's over here, this person's over here, and it's as if they're at war. Well, it's quite simply because nobody wants to lose. Right? Our political system, we have the red and we have the blue and they want to win. And the way they win is if the other person loses. The game is set up where there's one winner, one group of winners, or one politician who wins, and then the rest are losers. And evidently, we have some hyper-competitive people willing to do or willing to say whatever it takes in order to win. Now, you already know all that. On a side note, my hope, okay, my hope is that we find out in a couple of years that all of this has been staged. You see, as a kid, I grew up watching the WWF. Anybody else? Yeah, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Nope. Yeah, okay, all right, the Rocky. Thank you, Rocky. Yeah, I used to think wrestling was awesome, and then I found out it was staged. It wasn't fake. Just wasn't real either. I used to love the, the show Pawn Stars. I was like, man, these guys know about a lot of stuff. Or I like storage wars. I wanted to go buy storage containers. I was like, man, can you believe the treasures that are in all of these things? And then I found out it was staged. So my hope and my prayer is that we find out that our political, all that's just actually staged. Because I cannot believe that our Ivy League, the top educated, the smartest people in our country actually behave this way. So that's how I choose to live, thinking it's all staged. But regardless, you know this, I know this, politics are personal and become very polarizing in our country. To where the polite thing to do nowadays is what? Not talk about it. Let's pretend it's not real. Because everybody, the red and the blue, they want to win. Well, today I want to show you something. I want to I show you the Apostle Paul because he talked about winning. Look at what he says. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, he says this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. See, as we know, a first century slave was a real thing. I mean, people owned people. And so Paul's saying, although nobody owns me, although I am completely free, I position myself, I put myself as a slave. I allow somebody else's view, somebody else's decisions. I let that control me to where, well, I wanna win people. I would rather serve people. He's saying, I have freely given up my rights. I've freely given up my preferences in order to win people to Christ. Paul's desire to see people come to Christ overridden his rights and his preferences. And you see, giving up your freedom to become a slave wasn't winning in Paul's day. I'm sure that we could all agree that nobody looks forward to the day they can be a servant. No one looks forward to the day they could be owned by someone else. I mean, nobody would ever look forward to anything like that. Nobody wants to do the task that nobody else wants to do. But yet Paul said, I'm willing to do it in order to win people for Christ. Paul says, this is how it works. Paul says, I lose so others win which we go, oh, I mean, a 
look, he learned this from Jesus. Look at this. Philippians 2, 6 through 7 says, Who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be something used for his own advantage, his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, becoming made in human likeness. Jesus became nothing so we could become something. Jesus didn't fight for his rights. He didn't claim, well, I'm God. He didn't do anything like that. He gave himself up in order to save us. And that's what Paul's doing because Paul doesn't tell us about this just to say, here's some theology about Jesus. Here's some things you need to learn about him. Look at what he says, the verse right before this one. Philippians 2, 5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the mindset that I lose so others win. So our faith says, we lose so others win. Our politics say, we win so they lose. See the issue here? And this brings up all sorts of questions like, well, Brian, should we engage at all? If that's how politics are played, where there's winner and loser, should Christians even engage? Should we help political parties? Should we help campaigns? It brings up the question of, well, what do we do when we lose? I mean, how do we handle the loss? Because nowadays, because everything's so polarizing, how can we then follow those people who are once our enemy? I mean, I believe they're evil. I believe that other side isn't good. I believe all their policies are horrible, but now they're in charge. So what am I supposed to do? How do I follow a leader who I thought was against me all this time? Do I threaten to move or do I move? Or do I just wait for that leader to mess up so I can pounce on them? So I can tell everybody I was right and look how bad they've failed. This is question, this, this, this concern about they, about Paul says we lose so they win versus we win so they lose brings up, well, what about my rights? What about the things I like? Do I then become a prepper? Do I rebel? Do I claim things like, well, that's not my president. That's not my stuff. Do I refuse to follow? But the other question you may be asking is, Brian, how do we even make it through this election year? When our country turns everything into an issue, things that shouldn't be an issue are now issues where everybody's against each other. We're like, Brian, I can't even talk to my father-in-law. I can't even talk to my mother-in-law. I mean, it seems like everybody's gone crazy. Hey, I agree. I mean, everything's a big deal now. So how do we, how do we handle this? Lucky for us, you know, Paul answers this question for us. We're going to call this next section Rules of Political Engagement. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Titus 3.1. Rules of political engagement. He says this, number one, I'm, I've tried to make this as simple as possible because we're gonna go through a lot of stuff. Number one, he says to be submissive and obedient. I know as a Christian, being submissive and obedient are your absolute favorite words. I know you pray every night that you can be more submissive and more obedient, don't you? I know you do, good. Here's what Paul says, Titus 3.1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient. That comma doesn't, or those dots don't mean to just your political party. Just know that's not what it says. It says, remind the people, which means he's already taught them this. 
He's already taught us this. He says, remember, this is your obligation to be subject and place yourself under the civil government. Because, of course, as Christians, we serve God. We know he is the rightful ruler. He is the one in charge. But even so, we still put ourselves under the human government because overall order is part of God's plan for us. You see, subject speaks to our attitudes Obedience speaks to our actions. It says, watch your attitude. Watch what you do. Here's why. Romans 13, 1 through 2. You can take notes and look up all these scriptures later. They'll be back here, though. It says, let everyone be subject to be governed in authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Maybe you're saying, well, Brian, that can't be true. I mean, God, God couldn't have put all this together. That's, that's what the scriptures say. He says that God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. It's like Paul repeats himself because you couldn't believe he said it, so he just says it again. So you realize, yes, that's what he's saying. We are to submit and obey our government and our leaders because God has established our government and our leaders. So we are to take a submissive posture I know something that every American loves to do is be submissive. I know that. But here's why. He says, consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against God. What God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Paul's logic is simple. He says, God has established these authorities. So if we rebel against these authorities, we're rebelling against God. And the judgment's twofold. We not only face the judgment of our government, right? When you, when you rebel and, and you do things they don't like, they will stop you. But then you also face this judgment of God because he put it in place. And so you and I, we have a duty as Christians to subject ourselves and obey the government because God has given them the authority and God has chosen to work through them. That doesn't matter who's in charge. We have to be submissive and obey. Even when they come up with rules we don't like, even when they do things we don't like, we are to be submissive and obey. And what I think is really amazing about this passage, specifically for our government today here in America, is this speaks to all levels of leadership. Because we don't have a king, we don't have a Caesar, we don't have a pharaoh, we don't have an emperor. There are checks and balances in our country. I mean, nobody is completely in charge of everything. I mean, everybody's responsible to somebody. And so this passage says, no matter what level you are, whether you're the president, whether you're the Congress, no matter who you are, senators, you submit to those over you. You submit to those governings. They should all have this submissive posture, willing to obey. Nobody gets out of this. Let me say, well, Brian, hold on, hold on. What about when they do those really bad things? All right, well, let, let me just answer that question real quick because that's where we go. Does that mean there isn't a time for civil disobedience? Well, of course there is. Scholar William Mount says, he says, obedience to God overrides all other concerns, especially the evil demands of an ungodly government. For instance, when Peter and John, in the book of Acts, when Peter and John were arrested, they were told uh, not to preach and teach. They were brought before the governing authorities who said this. They said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. 
You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. See, while the government officials told them not to preach and teach, the apostles knew that Jesus had commanded them to preach and teach. So it was obvious what they needed to do. They needed to obey God rather than man. But be careful before you use this passage. Be careful before you justify your behavior and your actions to do the things you want to do. And it has nothing to do with things like this. You see, this is about preaching and teaching. The book of Daniel tells us about prayer. When people are trying to take away our connectedness to God, when people are taking away our, our worship and saying you can't do it, it's illegal, that's when we say, you know what, we're going to choose to obey God rather than man. A great example of this is what Martin Luther King Jr. did. When he was standing up for the dignity and the worth of all humans, which is, of course, what the Bible teaches, but he did it peacefully. So number one, we're to be submissive and obedient during this time and during whoever our leaders are. But number two, we're to do good for the welfare of the community. We are to do good for the welfare of the community. He continues. He says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and the authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do, ready to do whatever is good. As Christ followers, we're to be ready to do good. One scholar says, as good citizens, believers must also be ready to do whatever is good, prepared and willing to participate in activities that promote the welfare of the community. They must not stand coldly aloof from praiseworthy enterprises of government, but show good public spirit, thus proving that Christianity is a constructive force in society. So as Christians, we have a duty to be submissive and obedient, but we also have a duty to be ready to do whatever is good, whether it's through our volunteering, whether it's through participating in the political system or leadership or government. I mean, we should join and we should participate to make our community, to make our country a better place, the good for all. And this is important because this means that our motives for engaging in politics should be for the welfare of the community or our country. Our motives for helping our political parties should be for the good of all. It shouldn't be about power. It shouldn't be about prestige. It shouldn't be about, well, this is what I personally like. Remember, we already agreed politics are personal. Paul says, yeah, no, 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 no. It's about the community. Yeah, I know, but I, he says, no, no, no it's about others. You're like, yeah, no, no, no. But when it comes to politics, this is how I want it. I was like, no. No, you do good for, for all. This otherness. When I do it for me, it's selfishness. When I'm doing it for others, it's otherness. He says, no, we do it for, for others. And it seems like he's speaking in verse two, what we're about to look out directly at our country. Saying, don't get involved in politics for career advancements. It's not for networking. It's not for prestige. It's, it's not for power. You, you want to do this to be ready to do good for other people. And so number three, he says to act differently. If we engage in this political system, we must act differently. He says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Look at this. To slander no one. Yeah, but I don't like them. No one, yeah, but I, but I don't like them. No one, 
to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. Listen, this is important. Our goal is never to win in the eyes of the public. Our goal is to win in the eyes of our Lord. This is what winning looks like. See, we are to act differently by not slandering. And before you get out of it and pretend you don't do it, come on, just own it. You shouldn't be talking about those people that way. You don't even know them. You don't know them. Imagine if someone talked about your son or daughter that way. How would you feel? Right? You don't even know them. Just because someone's a public figure doesn't give you the right to slander them. Paul says you don't do that. We shouldn't speak evil. We shouldn't speak verbally abused. I mean, these are people who've been made in the image of God and are objects of God's grace. You are not better than them. So we don't slander. When we slander people, we're trying to elevate our views or another person or ourselves over them. What we're really saying is, hey, look at me versus them. Look at what my guy likes to do versus their guy. We don't, we don't need to get into that. We don't slander people. And slander is any speech that harms another, insults, rumors, and things of that nature. This is the Bible now. It says, do not, don't do it. Don't be involved in it. Rather, Christians are to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. And so my question is, that post, that emailed you forward? Yes, people still chain forward emails. It's, it's crazy, but they still do it. Before you forward that email, before you share that post, before you talk to your neighbor, am I building them up or am I tearing them down? If I'm, you, and don't try to get out of it. Like, well, I'm really building them up by hurting the other person. That doesn't work that way. That's, that's not what we've been called to do. If you're sharing nasty things or negative things, it's not for you, Christian. Instead, build people up. And you say, well, I don't like that candidate. I don't have anything nice to say about him. Well, take your mom's advice. What is it? If you don't have anything nice to say, come on, finish it with me. Don't say anything at all. That's why I don't respond to some emails. I mean, come on, let's be honest. You just don't have to say it. Titus 2, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. Peaceful and considerate. In summary, one scholar says, we are to show true humility. True humility thinks sensibly, refusing the lure of competition and comparison. Because that's what it is. It's winning. I want to win, so I want to hurt them. I want to win, so I want to hurt them. He says, no. Rather than promoting fear, we should be promoting peace. Come on, you're old enough. You know this. The tactic right now being used by all political parties is to drive fear into everyone. They want to scare you. They're going to take away this. They're going to take away this. And they just fear mongering. And it has everybody panicking. And they have no peace. But as Christians, we should be promoting peace. I mean, every four years, and, and I, I know I'm not as old as some of you. I heard politics used to be really great. I've, I've never personally seen it. Maybe you have. But every four years, I hear about how it's going to be the end of our country. Every four years, if I don't vote for this one person, then everything's going to be over. Armageddon's coming, and everybody fits the other canon in the book of Revelation. Every, I mean, every four 
How many times can they be wrong before we just stop listening to them? Like every four years, we gotta stop doing this. Christians, we aren't called to promote fear, but peace. So I don't, so what, what Paul's saying, what, what we're talking about is you can share your views. You can promote the person you like, but you don't have to do it at the expense of another person. You can share helpful things. You could talk about good things you think your candidate will do. You could talk about how it's going to be helpful to the community. But you don't have to do it at the expense of another person. You could just be peaceful. You can be positive. You can encourage. Because I really believe people are far more concerned with what's helpful than what's fearful. So share with them. I mean, as you engage in politics, whoever you like, as you engage, share. Here's how they're going to help. People want to know that. People are interested in that. He says, so don't slander. Be peaceful. Be considerate. Be gentle. And you say, Bernie, are you serious? Come on. I'm supposed to be gentle. I'm supposed to be peaceful. Haven't you seen what they've done? Haven't you heard what they've said? Didn't you hear? Don't you see what they're trying to do? Paul's like, yeah, hold on. I'm not done. Verse 3. He's ready for your objections. That's what you got to love about Paul. He, he's ready for your arguments. He says this. He says, well, at one time, we too were foolish, <laughs> disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. He said, yeah, we, we used to be like that, remember? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Please notice He's describing what somebody is without Christ. And if you're acting like someone without Christ, please repent. This, this isn't how we should be, even in politics. You don't separate faith and, and politics. It doesn't exist. That's something someone created. That's not a real thing. He says, we, we used to live like this. So what Paul says, yeah, give, give him a pass. Yeah, but don't you hear what they're saying? Yeah, give him a pass. Yeah, no, but don't you hear what they're saying and how they're saying it? He's like, yeah, yeah, we used to live like that too. It's like, give empathy to the people who are acting like that. Because he assumes what all Bible writers assume, that if you've met Christ, that's a transformation of your character. So we used to act like that, but we no longer do because now we're in Christ. So he says, show empathy to people who don't know and who are not clearly following Christ. As you know, every politician's a Christian, but you can see if they're following Christ or not. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? And he says, so if they're not and their actions aren't shown, he said, give a pass. Have empathy. Because our motivation isn't winning. Our motivation isn't our rights. Our motivation in life should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about what they have done. It's not about what they might do. It's about what he has done and he will do. Never forget the gospel. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Paul says the gospel's our motivation. 
God saved us not because of the great things we've done, not because we're better than other people, not because we're more righteous. We forget that we too were once sinner. And I know Christians like to put themselves on a pedestal and I know like they, they, they pretend they've forgotten about that, but they haven't. You're a sinner who, is, who owes everything to the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's reminding you. You used to be like that too. And the only reason why you don't stand guilty before God is because of grace and mercy. Not because of what you've done, but because what Jesus has done. And so if God, the true just one, has shown us mercy, has shown us love, and has shown us kindness, and if the basis of our relationship with him is purely grace, how can we ever point to other people's faults? How can we ever say, well, look at them. Look at what they've done. Paul says, yeah, you used to do it too. Yeah, no, but, yeah, no, but you, you did. You see, the gospel's changed everything. We're playing a different game. An ultimate win for us is pointing people to Jesus Christ. We may lose, our party may lose, but we prepare to lose in order to win for Christ. Because a win for Christ looks like following him. It's like be, rel- be willing to give it up to save others. See, our hope, listen, our hope isn't in politics. Our hope is in Jesus, the eternal life found in him. We'll talk more about that next week. I promise you won't want to miss that one. So our rules of political engagement are be submissive and obedient to the government That's just what we do. Engage in politics for the purpose of welfare for the community. Not for your own advancement, not for your own needs, but for the community, for others. And we act differently. We act differently by not slandering. We act differently by being peaceful and considered and and gentle. Because our motivation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul finishes with verse 8. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. We're not supposed to talk about politics, not according to Paul. Stress these things. Perhaps if we stressed these things, we wouldn't be an embarrassment sometimes, how we act. He says, so that who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves in doing what is good. That's how we know it's tied together, because he's summing up what he said earlier. And he said, stress these things. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. He's saying if you've trusted God and his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, then you must be devoted. You must be devoted not to a political party. You must be devoted to doing good. And those things are excellent. Those things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. And let's be honest, isn't that the type of life you want to live? Don't you want to live a life that's known for being excellent and doing good for all? I mean, how many people do you know that have won in, the, in every arena, whether it's political or they've won in business or they've won in sports, but they failed at life miserably? He says, you, you want to be known for, for winning at life, and if you fail at these other things, so be it. But you want to win for the gospel. So as this season kicks off, and I know many of you have spent hours watching the TV and watching these conferences and whatever else that's been going on. As this thing kicks off, I just want you to remember the game we're playing. 
What we wanna do as Christians, listen to this, we wanna leverage our politics to promote Jesus. You say, whoa, 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 no, listen. We wanna leverage politics Leverage politics, promote Jesus, and, and we promote Jesus when we follow Jesus. We, we promote the gospel when we submit and we obey. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to. No, no, that's how we promote the gospel, saying, why do you, but I know you don't like that. Why are you doing it? Well, because of the gospel. I, I know you don't like wearing that mask. Why are you wearing the mask? Because of the gospel. But I know you don't like that candidate, so why are you, because of the gospel? I'm, I'm told to do this. Jesus has told me to do this. We promote Jesus when we focus on the doing good for all, not just the things we like. We promote Jesus and we promote the gospel when we're gentle, when we're considerate of others. We promote Jesus when we're willing to lose so other people win. We want to promote the gospel by our actions, by what we do, so people can say there's something different. Wouldn't it be a breath of fresh air to be like, there's something different about that politician? Something's different. And please, please don't leverage Jesus to promote your politics. Just watch it this season. Jesus isn't a tool you use. Jesus is the king we serve. Be very careful before you start saying things. Well, you're not a Christian if you don't vote for. Watch yourself. You see, the first century people try to get Jesus to take their side all the time. And there's so many people who want to interpret Jesus through their politics. And some of you see Jesus with your red filter. Some of you see Jesus with your blue filter. I mean, both sides believe Jesus is on their side. I've heard of Texas Jesus, right? Belt buckle, boots, hat, dip, and guns. I've heard of hippie Jesus, peace, love, drugs, and do whatever feels good. And, and I've heard of everything in between. We want Jesus to look like what we want. But it always comes from people ignoring the fact that he said he was the king. Jesus wore purple. Neither represent him well. Jesus wasn't red or blue, as Dr. Tony Evans says. Tony, Dr. Tony Evans says, Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And that's what we'll talk about next week. I'm almost done. I just want to give you a couple of reminders. As we proceed through this season, remember it's probably personal. So when you start talking about politics and you're dealing with somebody who may not believe the same thing, remember it's probably a personal thing going on in their life. So just be careful. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they've experienced. You don't know what, what happened to them or what they got going on. So, so when you engage, just remember this is probably personal. Although this specific issue you're talking about may not be for you, it may be for them. So be considerate and be peaceful. Some of us, you like to engage and you can debate and stay friends. Some people you just can't talk to politics about. So instead of talking, instead of arguing, instead of trying to be right or standing up for your rights, just be peaceful. It's what we're called to do, promote peace. And can you imagine for a moment we did this? Can you imagine if every politician who claimed Jesus Christ as their king looked like this? It says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, but to be peaceful and consider and always gentle towards everyone. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Christians, rather than joining in the fear-mongering, instead of trying to scare everybody, we promoted peace and gentleness? Can you imagine what it looked like if Christians stopped, just started refusing to play the game and stopped using their churches and stopped listening to their, 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 their voice to start promoting people? And what if we just promoted Jesus? Can you imagine? Refuse to participate in slander and division and refuse to engage in the negative politics. Can you imagine if Christians jumped into politics to promote the welfare of the community? I'm like, the gospel and loving others really was the reason why they're doing it? Can you imagine? Hmm. When you've settled who's really in charge, you can. We'll talk more about that next week. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today reminded of our our duty to the government to be good citizens and our duty to promote the welfare and good for the community and all. God, so many of these issues are near and dear to our heart for one reason or another, and we trust those concerns to you. Lord, help us be ambassadors for Christ during this time. Help us promote peace and love and gentleness during this tough time for our country. And Lord, help us be different. Allow your peace to cover our hearts when others are promoting fear. Help us remember that you weren't red or blue, but your color was purple, the color of royalty, and you are the king. Father, as we engage, as we discuss, let us bring you glory in our actions and our emails and our posts. Let us not be the cause of division, Father. Let us be cause of unity. In Jesus' name.